Well, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is James. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Halifax Christian Church. And before we uh, dig into the sermon, I just want to I want to correct something. Um, you'll notice in this week's bulletin that the title of this sermon is apparently something about Christmas. And so what happened there, that's not the title of this message. Uh, I'm more creative than that. Um, but apparently that's what it is. So we got a new uh, office printer here this week. And our, one of our associate pastors, he'll remain unnamed, it's not me, got a little <laughs> eager. And uh, he couldn't wait for somebody to come down to the office so he could ask, what's the title of your uh, message this week? And he just went ahead and printed off the bulletins. And so apparently it's something about Christmas. And then our lead pastor is like, well, I got to find out what James's message is about this week to put it in the weekly news. And so he comes up, grabs a bulletin. What's James's title? Something about Christmas. <laughs> now, it is about Christmas, but that's not the title. Um, it, it is hard to find good help. Let me just say that. Uh, now, as, uh, as human beings, we're always anticipating what is to come. We're, we're always anticipating something. Right now, as you're sitting in your seats, um, but right now, as you're sitting in your chairs, you're anticipating something right now. Maybe you're anticipating getting home and, and trying out a new office printer. Who knows? Um, maybe you're anticipating lunch. You're going to Swiss Chalet, going to get that festive special, and you're anticipating those five Lindor chocolates. Maybe there's a Christmas party coming up here soon, and you're, you just can't wait to get together with family and friends. Uh, maybe if you're like me, it's just kind of been a long uh, fall. It's been a hard fall, just kind of going constantly. And so at the end of this month, I've got some vacation coming up, and I'm just like, I can't wait for vacation. And so as human beings, we're always anticipating something. Even if today is awesome, say you, you pay off your mortgage, and, and you win a million dollars, you're still going, you know what, I can't wait to get past this thing. I can't wait until this day because. And so our hope as human beings is that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Now Christmas is one of those, those anticipated days of the year. It's probably the most anticipated day of the year. And so the advertising, the decorations, the music, uh, all of that begins, it seems, earlier and earlier each year. There's a guy up on Parkland, uh, I think it was November 1st, the day after Halloween. He has his Christmas lights up and on. I was somewhere mid-November, it was November 15th or 16th, and as I was leaving, the person goes, Merry Christmas. And I have no problem with that, but I'm kind of like, what's wrong with you? It's, it's, a, it's a little early, like, let's, we just got past Remembrance Day, let's just, let's just hold off there. But there's something about Christmas. We love the feel of Christmas. Uh, people seem to be in, in better moods. We look forward to opening gifts, uh, commercials, and advertising. They're telling us, you know what, anticipate something big. And they try and make it seem like it's the norm for everybody that, yeah, everybody, they're opening up a box on Christmas morning. There's a $5,000 necklace, just a little something with everything else. You're going to wander out into your driveway this year, and there's a Lexus with a big red bow. Everybody's getting one. It's the norm. If you don't give it, you're not a good person. And so I'm waiting for my reality to align with those commercials. But every year, we're hoping that this is going to be the best Christmas yet, aren't we? And we're shooting for perfection in everything. And if you don't believe me, you've never decorated a tree with a woman. 
because there is a spot for every decoration. You'll be like, I'm going to put, no, no, that does not go there. That goes on bow 37. You should know this. Come on. And it's like, okay. So we're shooting for perfection. But every year, we're, we're hoping, you know what? Relationships, they're going to be restored around that glowing fire. That perfect turkey is going to be carved. Uh, the perfect gift is going to be given. And we're, we're just hoping um, for the best Christmas. You know, the crazy relative that each one of us has isn't going to do something weird or embarrassing at the family gathering. And so there's this sense of hope at this time of year that, that things could change in this world, that our world could get better. But we know despite the cheer, despite the goodwill to all men, things aren't perfect at Christmas. We know that the, the, the stress of the holidays, sometimes coming together as family, it doesn't necessarily bring us all together closer. Sometimes it drives us further apart. Sometimes the, the debt that we incur at, over the holidays or the pressure we feel to buy that perfect gift, it puts a lot of financial pressure on us. If you look in the news, you see that ISIS is still continuing to ravage the Middle East. You see that Ebola is still causing death in West Africa. Ferguson, Missouri, you see all the violence that erupted in that town over racial issues. You, you look and you see the situation with Russia and Ukraine, and you're going, what's going to happen there? There's, there's uncertainty in our world. The economy is not um, totally sound. It's, it's still fragile. Jobs aren't abundant. And so we see that murder, hatred, crime, famine, disaster, drought, theft, disease, sickness, sin, and evil, they don't take a break for the holidays. You're not going to get an out-of-office reply on any of these things. In the last few weeks, um, just through social media, I've, I've heard of a couple families where they've got very sick children. And one family has a, a son who's just going through treatment for an aggressive form of cancer, and they're kind of getting to the end of, of their, their options. There's only so many more things they can try. And so Christmas is going to be difficult for them this year. Another family adopted a three-year-old boy from China, brought him over, um, knew he had medical conditions, but get here, they do the tests, and the doctors are saying, you know what? All we can really do is make him comfortable in this time. And so for these families, this is not going to be an easy Christmas, I don't think. And, and, and I hurt for them. My, my heart goes out to them. And, and sometimes when we're, we're, we're suffering and it's at Christmas, that suffering can almost be intensified, can't it? Because Christmas is not lining up with what the world tells us it should be. It's not that perfect time of year. Everything is not, uh, is not ideal. There is suffering. There is hurt. Christmas could be difficult this time of year because it's going to be different. Maybe your family's apart. Maybe you're celebrating Christmas without somebody there for the first time. And so as, as, as difficult or as good as life can be, it can also be very hard, dark. There can be suffering, even at Christmas. Now, sometimes we, we bring this upon ourselves. We're the reason we're suffering over the holidays. Here's an example. You're out on the corner, you're selling drugs on Christmas Eve, and the cops pull up, they arrest you, they take you downtown, they throw you into the jail cell, and you're going to spend Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in prison you do not get to blame anybody else for your poor holiday experience. You don't get to go like, those dumb cops ruining my Christmas. Ain't going to be a merry one for me this year. You don't get to say that because you brought that suffering upon yourself. But we also know that we live in a broken world. 
And even when we're not looking for suffering, it can find us. Nobody's sitting on Santa's lap going, you know what, natural disaster just before Christmas. That would be prime. Nobody's writing out their, their Christmas list going, yeah, you know what I want this Christmas? A disease. Nobody's doing that. But, but suffering, it has a way of finding us. It, it hits us even at Christmas. And so the Apostle Paul, in, in his book, or his letter to the Romans, he says, all of creation is groaning, groaning under the decay of sin. And we could say that humanity, we could say that nature, it's longing for the day that the curse of man's sin will be lifted off of it. And so all of us have been touched by the consequences of sin. We know we live in a world that something isn't right. It affects us 24-7, 365, and again, it doesn't take time off over the holidays. Now, darkness would be a word that you could use to describe some of the things we experience in this world. It's how scripture describes it. And if you wanted to know darkness, or if a people knew darkness, it was the Jewish people. They knew what it was like to be slaves. They knew what it was like to be um, homeless nomads wandering in the desert for 40 years. They knew what war was like. They knew what it's like to have the enemy at your gates. And so if you, if you met a Jewish person and you're like, you know what, my family, we have a history of high blood pressure, diabetes, and gum disease. They're going to be like, you want to know my family history? Much worse. Famine, plague, drought, disease, suffering. They know darkness. And like we would, they're anticipating a day, or they were anticipating a day that it would be over. They're saying that we can't wait to get past this. And in their suffering, in that darkness, God gives them something to anticipate. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Much of this is going to be familiar to you guys. But Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, even the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, Galilee is an interesting place. If we could throw the map up there, 
you're going to see that, I, I apologize, this is kind of small, but Galilee is that pink spot up there in the north of Israel. And because it was there, um, when Israel was being invaded by its enemies, particularly in the Old Testament, the enemy always came from the north because on the east you have mountains, on the west you have the Mediterranean Sea. And so when the enemy was coming against God's people, the Jewish people, they would march through Galilee to get down to the capital city of Jerusalem. And so this talk of darkness, this talk of living in the land of the shadow of death, the talk of battle mayhem, marching, bloody garments, all these are references that the Galileans are going to understand. They, they get this. Galilee had been uh, the, the point at which invading forces on their way to lay siege to Jerusalem, which is kind of further south, as they were making their way to Jerusalem, the enemy would go through Galilee, and on their way, they're breaking morale. They're raping, they're pillaging, they're burning villages to the ground. And so when, when an enemy came against God's people, read the Old Testament, you see this happens quite a bit, Galilee was often the first place that felt the sting of war. And the siege against the walls of Jerusalem, once the enemy reached it, that siege could last for, for weeks, it could last for months, it could last for years. And whether or not they were victorious or they were defeated, they had to get out of Judah. They had to go back home somehow. And so they would go back up through Galilee and once again on their way out, especially if they were defeated, if they were sore losers, rape, pillage, burning to the ground, stealing whatever they wanted. And so this is Galilee's history. Galilee would often rebuild only to have it taken away again. Now the Jewish historian Josephus, he writes, the Galileans are inured to war from their infancy. What he's saying is a Galilean, their entire life, they understand war. They've, they've seen it. They know what an army looks like and what an army does. Now in 734 BC, um, the Assyrians took many people in Israel off into exile when they, were, when they conquered Israel. And so many people of Galilee were taken off into exile. The Assyrians send in people, non-Jews, Gentiles, and they take up residency in Galilee. Eventually, uh, Israel or some of the Israelites are allowed to return back to their land and they get back there. And what do they find? Well, they find Gentiles, and they begin to uh, kind of intermix their some marriages. They begin to do some business together, and this has an effect on those Jewish people. And so the people who are living in the south, in Judah, they, they look at those guys up in Galilee, and they're a bit different. They, they talk funny. They're, they're, they're not pure Jews like they are. And so Galilee kind of has this reputation. In, in John 1.46, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is a town in Galilee, but this is kind of this attitude towards all of Galilee. It's a, it's a bad place. Now, Galilee also understands spiritual oppression. It, it was a battlefield. If you read the Gospels, you're going to see that there's tons of demonic activity in Galilee, in that region. And so a large part of Jesus' ministry, what he's doing is he's, he's going around, he's preaching the kingdom of God, he's healing the sick, but he's also driving out demons. And so when you read the Gospels, it's almost as if a demon possession was, was as common as the common cold. Probably not so much, but it, it's, it's fairly common in that area. 
And so Galilee is this battlefield in the war between spiritual forces of good and evil. And humans are often amongst the casualties. And so this is Galilee's history. It's marked with centuries of oppression, death, violence, and lack of stability. And when you say darkness, Galilee understands darkness. But God chooses Galilee to play an important role. You might ask, why Galilee? Why this, why this dark place of oppression, exile, slavery, war, death? Why does God choose such a sad place, a dark place in relation to the coming of the Messiah? Why doesn't he choose somewhere with prestige, somewhere Jerusalem? If God can pick, why doesn't he pick Rome? You're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody who understands what living in darkness or living in the shadow of death meant more than those in Galilee. Their heritage was filled with darkness. But God chooses Galilee to be ground zero for the destruction of oppression, slavery, violence, and injustice. If you want to say it this way, this is where God puts boots on the ground to wage his war against sin and evil. And so this, this promise that we just read in Isaiah, some of the scripture that, that Lillette read earlier when she was leading worship, these promises are made in and around 740 B.C. by Isaiah and Micah. And, and they're promising the Jewish people that Emmanuel, that the Messiah is going to come, that God has intervened in the situation. And so they're waiting for the Savior to show up. But from about 400 B.C. on, God isn't talking to his people. The prophets are no longer speaking the word of God to the people. And so the God who, who led, or who had called their forefather Abraham, the God who led them out of slavery, brought them into the promised land, who, who gave them judges to defeat their enemies, who gave them kings and princes, is no longer speaking to them. And so they're waiting 700 years for this promised Messiah to show up. Now, you know that song we sing at, at Christmas, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. If that song had been written at that time, number one on the Jewish billboard charts, like 700 years running, you'd be driving in the car with, with your kids, that song comes on the radio, they'd be like, turn that up, Dad, that's my jam, love that song. And so the Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah to come. They want that Savior. And so for years, nothing's happening in, in Galilee. Nothing's really happening in Bethlehem, these places where God has said, watch. Watch for the coming of the Messiah. But then one night, outside of Bethlehem, around 3 or 4 BC, an angel pierces the darkness, and he speaks to the group of shepherds who were there with their sheep in the fields. And he says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And so the promised child is given. The son is given. 
And so God's plan for man's salvation, it becomes tangible. God puts on flesh, and he comes into our world. And so we know Jesus is born in Bethlehem, but then Joseph and Mary are warned that Herod is seeking to kill this child, the newborn king. And so they go down into Egypt to wait out the death of Herod. And when they find out it's safe, they come back up into Judah, into Israel. They move up into Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And this is where Jesus grows up. He grows up in Nazareth of Galilee. And when he reaches the age where he can be a teacher, around 30, he's a rabbi. He calls his disciples to him. And he goes throughout mainly Galilee. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's, he's healing people. He's driving out demons. He's changing lives. People's hearts are being changed in Galilee. And so the kingdom, the preaching of the kingdom of God, it starts in one of the most darkest places on earth. And it expands. We find that it, it comes from Galilee, it goes to Jerusalem, it expands from Jerusalem to Judea, the wilderness, and to the ends of the earth, and it has reached us today. And so all of the darkness, all of the oppression, the suffering, that, that dark history of Galilee, it was not enough to contain the goodness of God. Now in John eight twelve, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. When Jesus says this, he's making a very clear statement. He's not just saying, this will sound cool. He's saying, I am the promised Messiah. I'm the one who fulfills those prophecies, those promises that God made long ago. He's saying, I overcome the darkness. He's saying, I bring people back to life from death. But the question we have when we, we read things like this is, where is everything that was promised to us in the Old Testament? Where is it? Where's the peace, the justice, the righteousness that we were promised? If Emmanuel has come, why do we still suffer? Why do we still hurt? Why is this world so dark? Why does it seem like evil is prevailing at times? Jesus has come and life is still hard. There still continues to be darkness in this world, isn't there? But Isaiah writes, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The new day is dawning but is not yet fully here. Second Peter, Peter writes, wait for and look forward to the coming of the day of God. When that day comes, the skies will be destroyed with fire and everything in them will melt with heat. But God made a promise to us and we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth where goodness lives. And so we ask, when is that day going to come? We, we really, we can't wait. Jesus says, no one knows except the Father. But he does say in Matthew 24 that the gospel, the kingdom of God, must first be preached to all nations, to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. And so listen, this is, this is why we support missions. This is why we support missionaries. We're seeking to usher in the kingdom of God, the fullness of the kingdom of God. We're not sending people off on extended vacations in places they've never been for so they can enjoy it. They're bringing the gospel, the light of the world, to some of the darkest corners of the world. 
And so this is why we need to support them. This is why we pray for them. I encourage you to write encouragement letters to them. Send them cards. Write them emails. If you have the means to support them financially beyond what we support them from this congregation. But the gospel, the gospel, it is good news for all men. I just want you to take a second and look around this room. Just look at each other. This is a beautiful room. Not just how you look, but the church is a beautiful thing. It's good news for all men. We have people from different cultures, different nationalities here. And this is beautiful. This is what the church is supposed to look like. But we're not called to huddle in these four walls and wait out the darkness. We're not called to hunker down and wait for the storm to pass. But God says, go. Take the good news. Take the light of the world to all the corners of the world. So he says, take the gospel to the darkest corners of your community, of your city, of your province, of your country, of this world. So the day is still to come when every warrior's boot is going to be burned, every bloodied garment will be thrown into the fire, when every weapon is destroyed. There will be a day when there's no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. You won't turn on the news to see another war is breaking out or a conflict escalating. You won't see an outbreak spreading. You're not going to see an evil nation prevailing or evil itself prevailing. But the darkness will be fully driven back. And the birth of Christ was the dawning of this new day. And the day is coming when we stand before the throne of God. And that day either goes very well for you because you said Jesus is Lord and Savior. You trusted in his work and not your own. And then you enter glory. You enter perfection. You enter heaven. And it will be much better than this world. But it could also go very wrong. If you, if you say, you know what, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going by my own merit. I'm going by my own work. You reject what Christ has done. And you'll stand before the throne of God and you will get what you deserve. But heaven is not what we deserve. Scripture says it's hell. And so I say this every once in a while. It's not as a scare tactic, but it's, it's, it's a way of reminding us, giving us some perspective for eternity. For the Christian, this world is as dark as it gets. This is as close to hell as you will ever see, and it only gets better. But if you are a non-Christian, this is as good as it gets. This, this is the closest taste of heaven you're ever going to get. And we ask, well, what's the difference? What, what separates the sheep from the goats? It's all about Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? And if you've been debating, should I, should I accept Christ? Should I become a Christian? Let me just say, we're not gaining time. Every hour we're getting closer to that day. And so Scripture says, if you want to be forgiven, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm just going to say, we can make that happen. If you want to accept Christ, please speak to me or one of our other pastors after this service. But lament over the darkness in our world today. But don't believe it's out of God's control. Just as God was working in those 700 years of silence, God is working today. And the plans of God are far better than our dreams. 
And as you celebrate Christmas this year, celebrate the day that Jesus was born so that one day he might die, so that one day he might rise again, so that we could anticipate a greater day. God the Son put on human flesh to bring us out of darkness into the light. The greatest day is dawning. Let's pray. Father God, we love Christmas. God, we love the feel. God, we love everything that comes with it, the presents, the music, the decorating, the gifts. But God, we do know that there are people who are hurting right now, that there are people in this room who have worries and and hurts and concerns, even as we're coming into Christmas just 18 days away. And Father, I just pray that you would give them peace. God, that you would give them comfort. God, that they would feel your presence at this time. And for our broken world, we continue to pray, God, that you would be working in it, that you would be intervening. God, that you would be calling uh, even our enemies to repentance. God, that they would bring, you would bring them to you, that we could call them brothers and sisters. But Father, we long for and we look forward to the day when we are with you. God, we just love you and we thank you that you would put on flesh so that we could be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.